Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. It is just, it is a crazy world. Um, the police are re- releasing details of the, the shooting involving the, the community service officer who was killed earlier this week. And community service officers, they, they work for the police department, but they're not sworn police. They're, they're not sworn police, but they, they, they go out the assist. They try to de-escalate stuff. The, the story is reported by the local newspaper. Just amazing. Off-duty community service officer with the MPD was shot and killed by his next-door neighbor while calmly trying to complain to him about grass clippings spilling over the property line. Prosecutors charged Mohammed Afsal, 65. Okay, so the guy who's now been charged with with third first-degree reckless homicide um, is 65 years old. He's been charged two days after his neighbor, Naeem Sarosh, 35, was shot and killed just outside his home in the 4800 block of South 22nd Street. Uh, this, uh, let's see. He begins community service officer. For some reason, unbeknownst to both of their families, Afsal did not like Sarosh, who spent several years living next to each other and had recurring disputes. The families otherwise got along fine. So, okay, the 65-year-old guy and the 35-year-old guy don't get along. On Monday evening, after Afsal, that's the 65-year-old guy, finished mowing his lawn, Sarosh walked over to Afsal's side door to discuss grass clippings that were left on the side of his property, according to the criminal complaint. All right. Um, after knocking, Sarosh turns away from the door and walks back to his side of the property and awaits Afsal's answer. The two of them appear to have a relaxed conversation. There's there's an outside camera that catches this. The complaint says, Sarosh, that's the 35-year-old guy, stands with his hands in his pocket, leaning slightly backward and makes no sudden movements. He motions towards the grass as he speaks while Afsal stands in the door threshold. So the guy is complaining, hey, you, you cut your grass. There's grass clippings on, on my side of the property line. Then Afsal suddenly raises a gun and fires at Sarosh, who turns and runs back to his home. Afsal fires a second time, striking Sarosh in the back. He collapses in the doorway to his home where police found him. He Afsal admitted to his actions during police interviews, according to the complaint. He said he came to the door already carrying his gun and decided to fire it because Sarosh had his hands in his pocket, and Afsal thought he might have a weapon. Okay, um, I, I'm not exactly sure how that explains the second shot in the guy's back as he was retreating, but, but you know, we'll, we'll see. Afsal told police after shooting his neighbor, he went back inside to his home to change clothes, knowing police would be coming for him. I just, you, you, you just listen to these stories and you, you just kind of shake your head because it's like, my, my God, it's like the wild, wild west out there. And, and whether it's people taking the law into their own hands or people deciding that it's okay to burn down cities or whatever. I mean, here you have two neighbors who apparently don't get along and one of them's unhappy that the other one has grass clippings on the side of his property. And now you got somebody dead. And I just I don't have an answer for this other than it's just apparent that you have people and, and the guy, the shooter is 65 years old. 
I mean, you're 65 years old. You think by the time you'd hit 65, you, you'd have the impulse control oh, slightly larger than that of a fruit fly, and, and you'd understand that you know, the, the way to solve problems with your neighbors isn't to pull out a gun and fire several shots at them, including shooting them once in the back. I digress. All right. Joe Biden. Joe Biden says he will be in Kenosha on Thursday. Interestingly, I've been waiting for Governor Evers to come out and denounce this visit like he was denouncing Governor President Trump's visit uh, yesterday because I, I don't know. Is it a distraction? Is is Biden going to be divisive? Huh. But but Evers is strangely quiet. But anyhow, Biden says he's going to visit Kenosha on Thursday. This will be his first campaign visit to Wisconsin. You've got three guesses as to why Biden is coming to Wisconsin. And the first two don't count. The the, the answer is pretty clear. Biden is starting to worry about Wisconsin. And Biden's advisors are clearly saying, hey, look, you know, they're you got to get to Kenosha, you got to get to Wisconsin, because, you know, we want to make sure it's not just the fact of of visiting Wisconsin that Hillary Clinton ended up not doing. It's you got to get there because there there's something going on and you need to pay attention to it. I, I think I think this this law and order tone that President Trump is taking, I think it is starting to resonate not just in Wisconsin, but but across the country. There's a big story in today's Wall Street Journal. Donald Trump lost Minnesota by about 45,000 votes last time. Both sides believe Minnesota, which has not gone for a Republican since Richard Nixon's reelection in 1972, both sides think Minnesota is in play, and it might be the state, along with uh, New Hampshire, where, where President Trump has the greatest greatest chance of picking up a state that he lost four, four years ago. And, and why is that? Well, because lots and lots of people are really upset with the violence, the rioting, all the stuff that happened in downtown Minneapolis. And this law and order campaign again, appears to be working. So it's. I think that explains why Biden is here. He has to figure out a way to blunt this and merely taking the, the Tony Evers approach, which is, well, we don't want to do anything which is perceived to interfere with people exercising their First Amendment rights. That That might have played well a couple months ago, but given the fact that a lot of this protest movements are now starting to be hijacked by people intent on burning down cities, throwing frozen water bottles and firecrackers and bricks at police. That's not playing well with a lot of, of I, I think, potential swing voters or even people that, okay, maybe they don't like a lot of stuff about Donald Trump, but they are concerned that, hey, if it's not going to be Trump here, what you're going to have is essentially, I don't know, people who are willing to Look the other way when it comes to all this violence that's going on. So I think what you're seeing is you're seeing a narrowing of the race. And that's one of the reasons why I think the Biden campaign says you better get there. And my guess is he's going to be talking not just about rights of protesters, but he's going to be talking about, uh, again, you know, some sort of law and order stuff. Which brings me to where I want to start the program today. There's a new poll out, a Suffolk poll. It's a national poll. 
And again, as we talk about frequently here, the, the election, it's 50 states. So you got to look at the state-by-state polls. But interestingly enough, when they took the Suffolk poll, a national poll, in June, Biden had a 12-point lead. The new USA Today Suffolk University poll finds that the lead has shrunk to 50 to 43. Now, it's still a seven-point lead, and that's beyond the statistical margin, but but it's dropped dramatically. Now, I think there's a couple reasons for that. I think, first of all, you're starting to see Republican voters that are coming home, you know, that maybe, you know, expressed, well, we're not sure who we're going to vote for, but they're Republican voters, and now they're starting to say we're going to vote for President Trump. I think also, especially recently, that this law and order message is starting to resonate as, I, I think, again, Democrats are being perceived as the party of anything goes, the, the party of, whether it's fair or not, the party of, hey, let, let's let's go to Portland and let's go to Seattle and let's destroy our cities and we don't want to infringe on the rights of protesters. And that goes so far until people finally say enough is enough. But here's the interesting story. Let us assume that the race does, in fact, narrow as I believe it's going to. I don't know who's going to win. I guess at some point in time I'll I'll make a prediction. But I I, I don't know who's going to win. But let us assume that the race, in fact, narrows. Now, already there are people, well, I'm looking at a same Suffolk University poll that's out today, says 28% of Biden supporters say they are not prepared to accept a Trump victory as fairly won. So in other words, if Trump is reelected, you already have about three out of 10 Biden voters who are saying Trump would have stolen the election. We will not accept this as legitimate. 20 percent of President Trump supporters already say that they aren't prepared to accept a Biden victory. And 83 percent of Republicans say they are at least somewhat concerned that mail-in voting will lead to voter fraud. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Whoever wins, I am prepared to accept that victory as being legitimate. Are you? I don't care if you're a Biden supporter or a Trump supporter. Do you think that there is a reasonable chance that the election will be stolen by the other side? 855-616-1620. We discuss in just a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I believe this election is narrowing. Some early polls are suggesting that, and I think it's going to get closer. Don't know who's going to win. But if your side loses, are you prepared to accept the legitimacy of the loss? Let's start with Mike on the northwest side. Hi, Mike. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. I believe that the election is legit. Uh, whatever side, you know, they're talking about this four years ago. After four years, they can't figure out how to block anything like that. That's just nonsense. Uh, whoever wins, wins, I believe, in the integrity of the election results. Um, do you think most people will feel that way? No, but I do. And maybe, uh, quote, unquote, silent majority will. I think uh, that's the case. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Thanks for the call. Um, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's share some of the text here. Jeff, I firmly believe that if mail-in voting is allowed, the election will result in a win for Biden due to voting fraud 
we must not allow mail-in voting to occur. Well, the I mean, mail-in voting is 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 occurring. I mean, in Wisconsin, they're not going to change the rules, but you can you can vote. You know, you can vote absentee. You can vote via mail. Uh, let's see, Jeff. I will accept the results. Fear of voter fraud is overblown, as even the president's commission found no voter fraud. Voter fraud is a political bogeyman. Uh, boogeyman, I guess. Jeff, I would accept the results. What choice do we have? I know he is going to cheat. Um, any chance Trump gets? All right, so that's it. Uh, let's see. Jeff, I will accept the results, but it's going to be a recounting mess if it's close. Across the country, it could take months to sort out all of the recounts. Jeff, it's hard to accept. I think likely there'll be a lot of foreign intervention for both sides. Jeff, I don't know if I can emotionally handle Trump for another four years. I'll start out listening to news of voting results. Hope the media keeps an eye out for fraud. Um, okay. See, here, you want to know one of the election nightmares that, that, that is there? And, and they're already trying to figure this out. And, and we had a small version of this in Wisconsin in 2018, the Walker Evers election. If you, like me, are a political junkie and you're watching the, these vote totals, well, you know, Walker, Walker was ahead. Walker was ahead until suddenly Milwaukee, the city of Milwaukee, decides that now, okay, we're going to be several hours late in reporting and we're going to not report our absentee ballots until a couple hours later. And then miraculously, the the lead that Walker had ends up disappearing. Now, I want to be real clear. I don't think that was fraud. I I don't think it was fraud. I I think it was just, again, some sin some ineptitude on the part of the, the city of Milwaukee and its inability to count ballots in a timely fashion. But but that's what happened. You had a lot of people went to bed thinking Scott Walker was the governor, and then you wake up and all of a sudden Milwaukee has had this huge ballot dump and, and he loses. Now, h- here is the, the nightmare scenario for this country. Now, I was on the air back in 2000 when you had the Bush-Gore thing and you had all the disputed ballots and who won Florida and all that stuff. The, the potential the potential is for just an electoral debacle in 2020 that makes Bush Gore look like a walk in the park. And here, here's what I think the fear is. All right, you are going to have incredibly high numbers of of early voting and, and mail voting and things of the like. Uh, where's my story here? Um, we might talk about this later. 37% of people in one of these polls that's just out, 37% say that they are going to vote by mail, 37%. So that's more than a third of the votes that vote by mail. Those ballots and those votes are not going to be tabulated as promptly as the in-person votes. The nightmare scenario is that you get the vote totals on election night, and the vote totals, let me just give you a hypothetical example. The vote totals show... Uh, Donald Trump winning Wisconsin by 20,000 votes. Let's just take a number. Okay, 20,000 votes. But there's still all these mail ballots that are outstanding, M-A-I-L, the mail ballots that are outstanding. And over the next day or two, those are going to end up getting fed into the machines. And it turns out that a lot of those uh, mail ballots are coming from Milwaukee or for Dane County. And the, the Trump election night lead of 20,000 votes kind of starts to dissipate and dissipate. And then suddenly, you know, Joe Biden is ahead. Now, play that scenario out across, I don't know, 
10 or 15 other states. Look, there's going to be some states where the election is not going to be close. But play that scenario out where you have, again, one candidate leading in a particular state or in multiple states on election day and election night. And then, you know, we, we see that candidate's lead dwindling or disappearing, and all of a sudden, you know, the the states end up flipping. Don't think it can happen? Well, in a close election, it definitely can. And can you imagine then the the, the lawyers that are going to be descending on these different states and the arguments that are going to be made? Now, I don't know any way to avoid it, although I I do think from both sides, they're questioning the legitimacy of an election is not a good way to go. Now we have to do everything we possibly can to assure that again the people who are voting are, are legitimately able to do it and that there's not just <clears throat> mysteriously going to be 15,000 ballots for Donald Trump or for Joe Biden that find their way into I don't know, in, into the, the system after it turns out that, you know, Biden is ahead or behind by X number of votes. What was that that Lyndon Johnson always used to say? It, it wasn't, they always say about some of the, the elections in Texas that it, it, it wasn't who votes, it's who counts the votes. <laughs> it ends up being the decisive thing. I hope it doesn't come to that. But I, I'm telling you, with mail-in voting, and mail-in voting is reality. This isn't the discussion of that. With mail-in voting. I think if it is a close election, and I do believe one way or the other, it's going to be a close election. I, I think you're going to be looking at turmoil, not just not just on election day, but you could be looking at turmoil over the course of the next week or two weeks. I don't know how long it's going to take for us to know who the next president is. And if you think this has been ugly before, I don't think we've seen anything yet. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. One final thought on the legitimacy of elections and getting results in a timely fashion. And I know you you may disagree with me on this, but I, I've talked to several clerks of court, and I, I I still think that there 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 is time if the legislature and the governor were so disposed. There is time to make what to me is a common sense change that is long overdue when it comes to ballot counting. It used to, and and that is to allow the clerks to count the ballots, to feed the ballots into the machine as they receive them in advance of of the election. Um, And and see, here's the way it works now, that um, election clerks are by law prohibited from feeding the absentee ballots. So what, what happens now is, let's say you vote by mail, you early vote. Okay, you fill out that envelope, you, you seal the envelope, you send it in. It gets received, all right? It goes into a pile at the clerk's office. You um, early vote, early in-person vote, you know, so you go the, the Wednesday before the Tuesday election. You fill out your ballot, and then what you do is you, you fold it up, you put it in an envelope, you seal the envelope, you give it to, to the clerk. They keep all those sealed ballots until Election Day, and then and only then do they start opening the ballots and feeding them through the machines. Now, the problem that see that that's a system that worked fine for years and years and years because there there wasn't a huge number. I mean, o- overall, most people still showed up and voted in person. That that's the way it it, it worked. So it it wasn't a big deal if you've got. 
I don't know, for every 100 people that vote in person, if you've got five people that vote absentee or early vote, well, it, it's it's no big deal. What you can do is during the course of the day, you just systematically you open up those ballots and, and you feed them in to, to a machine. It, it's not a problem. It becomes a problem, though, when you have, say, more than 50% of, of the votes that are vote are either by mail or they're the early voting. And that's what these polls are showing. They're saying that by the time you add in the people who say they're going to vote by mail, and then that's like 35% or 37%, and then another 20% who say that they're going to vote early in person absentee, all of a sudden you have these clerks that now they're, they're dealing with the, the crush of people that are walking up on Election Day, and you've got these just huge piles of, of ballots that are there that also have to be fed in. This this will be one of the things that leads to the delays in the results. It's one of the reasons, again, why back in 2018 you had the delay in getting the gubernatorial responses because that was just Milwaukee. That was just Milwaukee that had, you know, thousands of ballots that they hadn't had a chance to feed through the machine. A number of clerks across the state are pushing for a legislative change which would allow them to not tabulate, but to, to enter the ballots, you know, to feed them into the machines um, in advance of Election Day when they're swamped. Now, I, I understand that there needs to be safeguards with this. I, I understand that the big concern would be, okay, the results of this would, would leak out, and so one side would find, hey, you know, we're, we're not doing as well in a certain precinct as our numbers say we should, so, you know, we, we have to do other things to try to turn out the vote. I, I understand that there there needs to be safeguards to make sure that 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 process of of opening the ballots and, and feeding them in that that it doesn't that the results don't get out that there there's no ability for people to find out you know how particular candidates are doing other than the speculation that already comes from hey we've got huge early voting going on in the city of Milwaukee or there's huge early voting going on in Waukesha or there's huge early voting going on in in Dane County i understand that you have to figure out a way to preserve the integrity of the system but but to me that's something that can be worked out with the again appropriate legislation but if we don't want to have results delayed potentially for days um what what you need to do is you need i think to allow the these clerks to start the process of again entering entering those ballots into the machines in advance of of the election so that by the time the polls close at eight o'clock you don't have this thing where now people are faced with a situation of, oh now we've got another twenty thousand ballots that we have to enter and i understand you might disagree with me on this and you might think that the the potential for fraud is too great i i'm just saying that the, the way we have done things in the past wait till the election day and and then do it that made sense I don't think it makes sense anymore, given that the way we are voting has changed, unless we're willing to say, okay, we're, we're agreeable to sitting around for a couple days waiting for the election results, which leads for a, to a whole new set of problems. So th- that's something right now, unless there's a, a change in state law, it, it's, it's not going to be, ha- it's not going to happen. We're going to do it the way we've always done it. I'm just saying, I think that as part of election reform, we can be smart. We can make these adjustments. We can recognize that there's a new way that people vote, and we can still do it 
in an effort to preserve the integrity of the election. All right, let us switch gears. I lump this to- I call this topic no good deed goes unpunished. Kenosha authorities in the wake of the riots and the Journal Sentinel refuses to call them riots. Well, that, that's okay. They're you know they they were riots. In the wake of the the riots, Kenosha authorities imposed a curfew. It was um I think what they I think they Start at 7 p.m. That was that was the idea. They imposed a, a curfew and they said people out after curfew are going to be arrested. Now, lots of people stayed out after curfew. And, you know, we've talked about this before. Same thing has happened in Milwaukee. Same thing has happened in other places. They, they, they've declared a, a curfew and then they, the authorities have not vigorously enforced it. Why haven't they vigorously enforced it? Well, they don't vigorously enforce it because um, sometimes they don't want to make matters worse. You know, they, they've declared a curfew. Most people decide that they're going to go home once the curfew sets in. Some people decide that they are going to stay. So simply by declaring the curfew and announcing, okay, you're now out of curfew, lots of people want to follow the rules, so they, they leave. People stay after curfew. All the people that stay after curfew are not arrested. They're, they're, they're just not. Even though they're eligible for arrest, they're not arrested. Just like everybody that drives past a police officer in a 30-mile-an-hour zone who's doing 37 isn't pulled over for speeding. Some are. And the same thing is true with these protests. Uh, apparently, I, I think that the general rule is that you know, if you've asked people to disperse and they've decided not to go home and they're really not causing any sort of, of trouble and it doesn't look like they're going to cause trouble, police use discretion to allow them to stay out after curfew. They don't just sweep up and down the streets arresting everybody. So, you know, in Kenosha, what did they have? Like 175 people arrested, many of which of whom were arrested for curfew violations. All right. There is now a lawsuit that has been filed on behalf of a couple of the people who were arrested. The lawsuit says, oh, that first of all, these, these curfews are unconstitutional. Secondly, that they were only arresting people who were out there protesting and that they didn't arrest people who were there supporting the police. Well, there's a lot of people that end up not getting arrested. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think police have every right to impose a curfew, number one. Number two, I think those curfews provide public safety. And number three, I'm glad to see police using discretion, saying, look, we're not going to try to, everybody that's out on the streets afterwards, after they're not supposed to be there, we're, we're, we're not going to try to scoop them up because that's just going to make matters worse. We're going to use our discretion. And this idea that the people that got arrested for violating curfew should suddenly be turned loose because, well, their rights were violated, I, I don't buy it. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you don't want to get arrested for violating a curfew, then don't break the curfew. And if you're lucky enough that you end up not getting arrested, thank your lucky stars and move on. 855-616-1620. All right. Should the police, should they have arrested everybody that was out after 7 o'clock? And if they had tried to do that, what would have happened? We discuss in just a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
Uh, there's something special about hometown teams. They're rooted in our backyard. They give you hope, passion, excitement, and make an impact on your local community. That's why, and this is, it's a very, very cool thing. We here at News Radio 620 WTMJ are teaming up with our friends at Associated Bank to help local businesses grow and succeed by giving one deserving business an advertising campaign valued at $50,000. That, that's 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 what we're doing here. It's a very, very cool idea. Businesses can enter by going to rebuildingwibusiness.com. Have until September 27th to do it. Supporting our communities is a meaningful tradition. Associated Bank and News Radio 620 WTMJ want to be on your team. Enter to win and find the official contest rules at rebuildingwibusiness.com. That's rebuildingwibusiness.com. Um, Associated Bank is a member of the FDIC. And again, the deadline for the applications are uh, September 27th. All right, so so now you have the, this group that is that is suing Kenosha, saying, oh, they, they arrested these people for violating the curfew. And, and nobody's arguing that they were violating the curfew, but they're saying, well, there's other people who were out here who, who you didn't violate, who did, you didn't arrest. And, and some of them were supporters of police, which is probably true. The other thing is there were a lot of people who were out there protesting, the police, etc., who didn't get arrested either. There were only like a total of like 175 some arrests and and interestingly again that the attorney general this this is a story that I can't figure out why it got almost no attention. Well, I guess I know why it got almost no attention because it didn't fit into the media narrative. But the, the people who were arrested in, in Kenosha, including lots for curfew violations, more than half were from out of town. And some of those were the same people who had showed up using the same tactics that were used in Atlanta, Chicago, Portland, Seattle, etc., throwing projectiles at police and trying to inflict injuries on police, engaging in arson that would be burning down buildings and and rioting. So you had this huge out-of-state presence that were there. Was there? What happened is you had Kenosha authorities faced with the idea of trying to stop the city from being completely destroyed. They impose they impose a curfew. And that curfew caused lots of people to go home voluntarily, and it caused some to stay out. They did not sweep the streets and arrest, I don't know, let's say you have, for the sake of argument, let's say you have 3,000 people that show up for a protest and 2,000 go home, you know, once the curfew kicks in. Okay, the police... Rather than risking a confrontation with the thousand people that were out there and trying to arrest everybody, what, what they did is they just they encouraged people to go home. If people were out in violation of the curfew, but apparently weren't causing any trouble or they didn't think they were going to cause trouble, the police did not scoop them up. But they did scoop up some people. They, they did scoop up some people. My guess is the vast majority of the people who got picked up for curfew violations were, were doing other stuff a, as well. But they used their discretion. So now you have this lawsuit filed on behalf of a handful of the people that got arrested saying, oh, this is unconstitutional because essentially they didn't arrest everybody. Well, again, my analogy is they have discretion. And I think candidly, 
I think that the authorities in Kenosha, once the National Guard got there in enough force to keep things under control, I think the authorities in Kenosha and the National Guard, after those first couple nights, did an admirable job of keeping things under control. And yes, some people got arrested for violating the curfew, but, you know, you know, too what? Too bad. Um, Jeff, if a person is out past curfew, they can be arrested. However, discretion is smart. If you're going to out to another area to get a prescription or baby food, maybe you need to get a pass. Um, I, I see. I, I agree with it. You want to you want to figure out exactly, you know, what is going on. Um, Jeff, they do. um you know, Jeff, they always play the PSA. It's 10 o'clock. Do you know um, where your children are? That That's also a law. But you don't arrest every kid that's out there. Um, the, the bottom line is you'd have discretion. Jeff, I have a friend who was streaming earlier this weekend out after curfew. He was stopped twice and just told to go home. Another streamer was stopped by the FBI. They talked to him, asked, he was, asked what he was doing, and they let him go as well. If they had been doing something or agitating, I suspect that they might have gotten arrested. Yeah, that, that's it. You're you're using your discretion, and it, I guess it's just frustrating to me that you have I don't know these people that are engaging in behavior in a situation where you know you should have been off the streets, and now it's like, well, gee, you know, I ended up getting arrested. Well, too bad you got arrested. If you you know if you don't want to get arrested for violating curfew, it's real simple. Don't violate the curfew. Jeff, another group of people trying to avoid responsibility for their behaviors. If you don't want to be arrested at any time, stop acting like a fool. I've made it 54 years and I've not been arrested. I'd like to think it's because I don't break the law. Well, yeah, that's um, that's it. Jeff, why is it that those who are anti-law also want to bring the law to be lawsuits? Um, Jeff, I couldn't be happier that Kenosha finally arrested some of the protesters. Better late than never. Well, you know, that's it. Jeff, I approve of the police using their discretion. Um, yes, so that's... That's the bottom line of all this. And again, I think, you know, Kenosha authorities deserve some credit. A lot of criticism for what happened the first couple of days. But after that, all right, they, they, they imposed the curfew. It gave them extra tools to try to enforce order. They were successful. And the fact that some people decided that they were above the law and they didn't have to pay attention to it. Sorry. Yes, maybe you got arrested and maybe people a block away from you didn't. Too bad, so sad, you should not have been there. And for the police to have just tried to do sweeps and pick up everybody who was out on the street, all that would have done would have been overwhelming the jails, probably making a bad situation a lot worse. Well, now the lawyers are involved. We'll see where it goes. The city of Kenosha says they're going to aggressively fight this and seek to have the case dismissed. I hope to heck that they end up winning, because if they don't, this is going to take away a very, very important tool, that is the use of curfews, that authorities have all over Wisconsin to try to give them another avenue to try to keep control in situations where, I don't know, some people want to uh, lose control. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Eric Bill said you were talking about today being VJ Day, mm-hmm. Victory Over Japan yeah. Day. I, 
I well, about a week and a half ago, I got done with a really great book. It's called Countdown 1945. I highly recommend it. It's um, it it Harry Truman, who took over from FDR mm-hmm. when yep. Franklin Roosevelt died, uh, just a few months into his term. Truman didn't know. That, that they'd been working on the atomic bomb. Nobody had, had told him. Wow. And it. It's, it's a fascinating book because what it, it talks about is that, you know, Roosevelt dies, and Roosevelt had, had not shared much with his vice presidents. And, and Harry Truman, okay, he, he takes over, and all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're, you, you've got all these issues with the ongoing war with Japan. And even though Japan was losing the war, it was very, very apparent that they Japan was committed to fighting to the last person, mm-hmm. and, and then mm-hmm. and you had seen that in the different island battles, and and they were looking at estimates to invade mainland Japan. You were be talking about the loss of hundreds of thousands of of lives and prolonging the war for for years, right. and and so Truman takes over, and all of a sudden he's the one that's got to be responsible for this. And apparently, like the second day he's in office, um, George Marshall goes to him and says, "We we have to have this conversation," and they tell him. Hey, we're we're a month away from developing these atomic bombs that nobody knows about and all. And the book just focuses; it follows, you know, uh, the Truman's decision making process sure. and all the information they're getting to ultimately decide to drop the two bombs. Wow. It, it's 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 a really good read, and it, it, it's at, it's called Countdown 1945, and it it. it it focuses not just on, on Truman, but it's talking about, you know, some other people that were involved in the development of this, including some of the scientists who've been working on this for a few years who, at the end, were starting to have real moral reservations about, you know, what what are what are we going to do with the world, you know, in this case. And, right. and it was also talking about how, how Russia didn't have it, uh, but apparently there had been, like, spies that had been telling – Stalin that that the America was working on it. So Truman had to at the at the Potsdam conference. He never met Stalin before. He had to he had to tell him that we've got got this bomb, and he was expecting that that Stalin was going to be really angry. But Stalin apparently wasn't because they had all these spies <laughs> sure. telling him. But right. it's it just it. I mean, I, I just highly recommend it. Interesting. Because okay. It, and it's it, and it's not written from a political perspective, other than I think the conclusion is. If the U.S. hadn't have dropped the bomb, World War Two, the bombs, World War Two would have gone on for at least another Several couple years, years yeah. and to invade mainland Japan would have just it resulted in an incredible loss of life as well. But it, Countdown 94, oh, okay. 1945, highly recommend awesome. on VJ Day. Yeah, it's that's. Uh, I'm reading one now called May Day 1971. I've told it's about the May Day protests. It's actually very timely. Um, the, the May Day protests. This was in 1971 when all these different groups came to Washington, D.C. To, to protest the Vietnam War. And it's written from the perspective of people in the Nixon administration who were trying to figure out what to do with all the protesters and also people in the the different, the, the varied protest group, from Vietnam veterans against the war to the, the hippies. The, the, right. And, and even within the hippies, there's all sorts of different cats. Mm-hmm. There's like the weathermen who were people planting bombs, and then there's students for democratic society. And it's just, it's, it's it's really a kind of an interesting read, and it's incredibly timely, again, because it talks about government dealing with protests mm-hmm, and, and how mm-hmm. how do you stop people from, I don't know, shutting down Washington. In this, in this case, it's how do you stop them from shutting down Washington, D.C., and how do you distinguish between legitimate protest and, you know, people who are putting bombs in, you know. So it's it's interesting. Hmm. So May Day 1971, highly recommend that as well. They're both I'll new write books. that one down. There you go. They're both new books that are out there. All right. Um, I 
I said yesterday that I believed that the Trump administration is wrong when they've announced that this payroll tax holiday, if you haven't followed that, you everybody pays 6.5%, unless you're self-employed, in which case you pay the whole thing, but you, you have to pay 6.5% of the first $104,000 you make. <laughs> many, many people don't make more than $104,000, but you have to pay that, like Social Security tax, a, a payroll tax, right? 6.5%. The Trump administration has given employers across the country the authority to stop collecting that 6.5% between now and the end of the year from people's checks. So what that would mean is if, fill in the blank, if if typically they deduct 50 bucks from your, your paycheck for that, they wouldn't make that deduction, so you'd have an extra 50 bucks in your it, that you would get to pay. All right, so that, that's the idea behind it. And it's kind of like a, a, a candy sugar rush maybe before the election because it gives people more money to spend. Why, why would I be opposed to it? Well, I'm opposed to it because it, it's, you're, you're going to have to pay it back. And I think a lot of people don't know that. The way the plan works now is if they don't withhold that money, you're going to owe it. Um, you're still going to have to pay that 6.5% tax. So let's say that total between now and the end of the year, $500 wasn't withheld. You're going to have to pay that $500 back. And the way the rules are going to kick in is they're going to say that you're going to have to pay double in withholding starting in January. And if you've left your job, you're still going to have to pay that on on, on your taxes. So it's just, it's sort of like a short-term loan that you haven't asked for. Now, I think, again, it's bad policy. I understand wanting to get money in people's pockets, but what I think is going to happen is come January, there's going to be all sorts of people who are in for this huge sticker shock where they say, hey, what 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 happened? Now you're not only taking the 6.5% you normally took, but now you're taking twice that. Delaying these things, I, I think, just has consequences. In Wisconsin, we have, in my opinion, been engaging in really, really bad policy over the last well, five or six months with the moratorium on utility payments. In Wisconsin, effective November 1st, you can't shut off gas or electric, right? Okay, the idea is, and, and so for people who don't pay between November 1st and I think it's April 1st or April 15th, they they, they can't have the utility shut off. But if they if they don't try to pay and they don't make any arrangements for payment plans, what happens is they owe six months of utilities, and many people, they, they, they can't make those payments. And because there hasn't been any threat of having disconnections, what happens is they pay their cell phone, they pay their cable bill, you know, they pay for their internet service, they pay all these other things, and then just don't pay the gas bill or don't pay the electric bill. So April rolls around, and now they've got a six-month bill that they're never going to be able to dig out from, and then their service gets disconnected anyways. Well, what we've done in Wisconsin is we have extended that moratorium. And now there's two Democrats on the public on the, the public service commission, one Republican, by a two-to-one vote. They keep extending that moratorium. Right now it runs, I think, through the end of this month. So you have people that have essentially not paid a dime on their electric bill for 11 months. And that might be continued even more. So they're 
by the time they're finally going to have to pay, they're going to owe so much money that there's no way they're going to be able to pay, and they're going to be looking at a disconnection. I think that's bad policy, which brings me to what the Trump administration has announced that they are going to do. President Trump has now declared that it will, the government, will be implementing a four-month moratorium on residential evictions. Okay, now, th- this, this isn't done by Congress. This is being announced by the Center for Disease Control, relying its health officials, relying on a 1944 Public Health Service Act, which gives the government broad quarantine powers. Here's what it says. It says for individuals earning less than $99,000 a year, you cannot be evicted from your rental unit for failure to pay. Um, you know, what you have to do is you have to, you know, you have to show that, uh, here's the thing, you have to show that you have, have lost income during coronavirus, that you have the inability to pay the full rent, and you must stipulate that if you get tossed out, you'd either have to live with others or be homeless. But landlords are not going to be allowed to evict people. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, lest you think I'm this heartless guy, here, here's, here's the problem with this. Just like with the payroll tax thing and just like with the utilities moratorium, the rent payments don't go away. So you say you can't evict somebody for four months, all right? So they go four months without making substantial rent payments. So let's say the rent is a thousand bucks a month. You can't make the thousand bucks. So you're going to be four thousand by the time January first rolls around. You're you're going to not only owe January's rent, but you're going to owe for September, October, November, and December. You're going to owe five thousand dollars effective January 1st. Well, if you couldn't come up with the 1000 bucks in September, where are you going to get the 5000 bucks in January? So, you're, you're again, you're not making the rent go away. All you're doing is kicking this problem down the road for a couple months. And, and candidly, I mean, if you believe, like I do, that COVID-19 is going to be with us for a while, why, why do we think that people's economic situation is going to be substantially different now in January than it is in September? On top of that, there's nothing. What, what about the landlords? All right, the, landlord, the landlords still have their bills that come due. I mean, the landlords still have to make their mortgage payments to the bank. So by saying to the landlords, you're not going to be allowed to collect your rent, what you're essentially doing is you're driving them into foreclosure. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I I, I understand what what's going on here, in part also because there is an election coming up and the idea of lots of people, you know, losing their homes in September or October before a November election might create a political issue. My only point is, I, I, I just, I don't think you can do this. All you're doing is kicking a problem down the road and arguably making it worse. Plus, again, if you're a landlord, I don't know what you do when all of a sudden your tenants can say, all right, nine out of ten tenants get to say, hey, we're not going to pay you for the next four months. What is a landlord to do? We discuss next. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is Jeff Wagner. 
Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Denise in East Troy. Denise, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Okay, is this a good idea? Well, no, no, it's not a good idea because what about from March until now with people who haven't paid their rent? And now you got now until January, where are they going to come up with 10 grand per yeah. day? <laughs> right. I mean, I mean it, and the landlords, I mean, they got to pay their mortgage still. I, I mean, it's, it's, I know they need to the help. I'm not saying that they don't need the help, but they got to come up with the money. I, I don't, then right. the landlords are not going to have their money. So well, it's a right. You're, you're, stuck between a rock and a hard place. Well, well, it, it is, and you don't, again, it, it's like the payroll tax. The tax obligation doesn't go away. All you're doing is kicking the cat down the road for four months to, to, the, to the middle of winter. Okay, so, you know, four, you, you now go four more months. And let, I, I like your example. Okay, so let's say, let's say you have somebody who hasn't paid their rent a thousand bucks a month, hasn't paid since April. Um, by the time, again, January 1st rolls around, they're going to be, you know, what, Nine, ten thousand, a thousand dollars a month rent. They're going to be nine or ten thousand dollars in the hole. That extra thousand dollars are going to come through. There's no way that they can make that payment. You're guaranteeing that they're going to end up being evicted. How how are we helping them by saying, okay, you get evicted in January instead of September? Exactly. I don't know how they can extend it four more months. I mean, maybe some people are are putting that money. They have a job and they're not paying rent. They're putting it away and then. They right. leave, they get evicted, and get a new place, and landlords are kind of stuck with. Well, yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> no, you're right. No, that, that's I don't it. Know. No, it's it's hard. No, thanks for calling, Denise. And and that's and I understand that there's people out there that say, okay, well, who cares about the landlords? These, well, okay, here, here's the, here's the deal, okay, with people who are landlords, and it, it's if you have money to invest. You have all sorts of different choices how you can invest it. Maybe you take that money and you go and you, and you buy a CD at the bank. Maybe you take that money and you you open up uh, an account at a at a at Annex Wealth Management. You invest it in the stock market. Maybe you decide that you want to go into housing, and so what you do is you you buy an apartment building, and you say, okay, this is this investment money that I have, and I'm doing it because I think it's a good investment. So I'm I'm going to buy the apartment building, and I'm going to use that rent to pay my mortgage, and hopefully the value of the apartment building will go up, and when I get ready to sell it, I will have made money on it. But but it, it's it, it, rental properties are investments that people are making. So to the point Denise was making, what do you do now? You are the landlord and you've you've taken out a mortgage to finance. I don't know your 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 eight family how eight family you know units that you have on the south side of Milwaukee. So what you're doing is you're providing you're providing homes for people who need homes, and you're, you're trying to hopefully make a little bit of money, and you're using that rent to again be to pay to pay the the mortgage that you own. Well, all of a sudden, all the people stop paying rent and they're legally allowed to do it. You're not allowed to toss them out and put somebody else in there that might pay rent. Meanwhile, that bank is saying, I'm sorry, Mr. Wagner, you know, we we appreciate the the situation, but that doesn't change the fact that you owe us $4,000 or $5,000 a month and you got to figure this out. And now you're saying to those landlords, well, all right, um, 
you know, the bank can still foreclose on you. The bank can destroy your credit rating. I mean, you just you can't you can't have this situation knowing that all you're doing, like I saying, is kicking the can down the road. Sue in Cedarburg. Sue, you're on WTMJ. Yes, I know you're talking about the um, rent not having to be paid and the utilities, but you also realize starting in, in the winter, the utilities company itself does not turn off any electricity or gas right. in the winter. So those people are going to go all the way to another yeah. almost a year yeah. before they start paying. So it's... Yeah. It's, it's not going to work. No, it, it no. Thanks, for, right? It, it right? It 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 doesn't, and it, it's why. I'm, look, I I understand, and, and let's also understand the political elements of this. This is okay. We've got an election coming up in November, so let's try to uh, again. Let's try to put a band aid on a problem. Let's get us through November. Well, okay, that that's great. But w- what happens in January? And to me, you're just you're looking at just a, a nightmare situation. First of all, this solution by not allowing evictions guarantees that you're going to put lots and lots of landlords into foreclosure. Best case scenario. It also guarantees that unless there is some magic, magic plan to come up with billions and billions of dollars to pay back rent for people, they're not going to be able to make the rent payments, so they're going to be out on the streets anyhow. This is not the kicking the can down the road is not the way to confront an issue. Period. I say that whether it's Republicans or Democrats. And if this was going to happen, it should happen through an act of Congress, not the government waving a magic wand and saying we're going to use a a Public Health Service Act from 1944 to try to justify this. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week is the first week of our Wagner's Home Improvement Showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank. You're simply local, equal housing Home renovation lender. All right, what was the Marie Antoinette moment? Let them eat cake. I don't care if people are starving. Let them eat cake. Well, there's another example of that playing out in San Francisco. It's kind of like, oh, oh, let the peasants cut their own hair. Now, during during the Tony Evers Safer at Home shutdown, for, for some people, I, I understand if, if your business was closed, it was a really, really big deal, and you weren't able to make money and things of, of the like. And so I, I get that it's a really big deal. For other people, it was more, I would say, like an inconvenience. And I think, you know, when we would do topics back in March and April and, and early May, and you'd ask people, okay, once stuff starts to open up, what is the first thing that you are going to do? And, and I would say maybe three out of ten, the, the majority, people would say, I want to get my hair cut. I, I want to. I want to get my hair cut, or I want to get my hair colored, or I, I want to. I want to get back to my barber or my stylist because all those were closed. All those shops, hair salons and barber shops, all closed by Tony Evers's order. Well, all right. Once the Supreme Court acted, the shops opened up, and I, I don't know. I mean, uh, the the lady that cuts my hair. Matter of fact, I've got an appointment tomorrow with her. Um, it's. You know, there's all sorts of rules and regulations, and you wear a mask that's inside, and they have to sanitize the place in between customers, and there's not a waiting room or anything that you can go to. What I do is I go to the place, I call up, or I text and say, I'm here, and then she comes out, opens the door, I, I go in. So there's not a waiting sort of thing, but it, it seems to it seems to work, and I end up getting my hair cut and stuff. And I'm look, I was looking just the other day at some of these pictures from 
a few months ago, and I'm thinking, man, I'm telling you, I'm starting to look like I looked in. Ni- I was starting to look like I looked in 1976 with like kind of like the long hair, and it wasn't a great look in '76, and it certainly wasn't a great look in 2020. But anyhow, th- that's that was the rule. I understand the rule was you could not be open for business. Now, I was complaining about that on the radio once or twice, and without naming names, I know somebody who said, you know, if you really need a haircut, I, I can I can get you in. I, I know that this barber, he, he's it's on kind of the down low, he's doing these appointments, and he would be delighted to cut your hair, you know, if you we could, you know, we'll call him up, and it's like, I don't know, kind of like going into a speakeasy or something, and I said, I appreciate that, appreciate the thought, but no, I'm... I'm I'm not a rule breaker and and no I don't want to get anybody in trouble and no I'll I'll wait till I can get my hair cut legitimately. So I did. Uh, apparently that that's that's the rules for the little people. This story about speaker of the house Nancy Pelosi is just absolutely priceless. In San Francisco salons are not allowed to open or at least they're not allowed to open they they've been closed since March. And they're not allowed to open for, like, um, the, you, you can't cut people's hair or do coloring or any of that sort of stuff inside. Apparently, I, I think as of yesterday, yeah, yesterday, they were allowed to be open for outside. So if they could set up a chair outside, they could do it. But they've been closed, which I, I'm, I'm sure has been just a, an absolute I mean, I don't want to say nightmare, but certainly an inconvenience for, for lots and lots of people who are probably dying to go get their hair cut or, or whatever, but they haven't been able to do it. Well, enter Nancy Pelosi. Apparently, these, these are reports that, that Pelosi's people call up, you know, this, this person that, that cuts hair, and the person ends up, the person apparently rents a chair in, in some stylist shop, and what the person did is they agreed to see Nancy Pelosi. So now there are all these pictures of Pelosi going inside to end up, you know, getting her hair cut. And it's, yes, she, she's wearing a mask, but it doesn't matter whether she's wearing a mask or not. The rules are the little people, the, the average people, they, they can't they can't go into the hairstylist and get their hair done. Now, admittedly, they're not the the speaker of the house. But apparently in this situation, those rules that apply to everybody else, well, Nancy Pelosi didn't think they should apply to her. My guess is, just my guess, this is not the first time that she's probably made arrangements, again, on the down low to kind of go, you know, have th- this thing done, which which is all well and good. I don't begrudge her you know, getting her hair cut or getting her hair done. But if you're going to say that nobody else can do it, maybe these politicians should start leading by example. And my guess is there's a lot of politicians, perhaps people on both sides of the aisle, during all these enforced shutdowns when other people couldn't go to the barbershop because they were closed. My guess is that there were a lot of these politicians who were figuring out ways to get their hair cut. Nancy Pelosi, hypocrite, of the week. All right, when we come back, how much longer will you be wearing a mask? I'll explain and we'll discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How long will you continue to wear your mask? Now, I, I ask this because 
there's there's no real consensus as to where we are on the coronavirus pandemic. There's a headline and an editorial in the Wall in the Wall Street Journal today, a virus progress report. It's no time to be complacent, but the summer surge has eased. We hate to be the bearer of good news, but here goes. The so-called second virus wave is receding and has been far less deadly than the first in the spring, thanks to better therapies and government preparation. Nobody is suggesting we should let it rip, but progress should give Americans more confidence that schools and businesses can reopen. And then it goes on and it talks about how there's some states that are having flare-ups, but um, the U.S. seven-day, U.S. now, the U.S. seven-day rolling average of new cases has fallen by about 40% from its peak in July. Hospitalizations and deaths in hot spots peaked at about the same time and uh, have, have been declining. Hospitalizations down by 62% in Texas, 60% in Florida, 48% in Utah, 45% in California. They go on and on. Now, in Wisconsin, I don't know, the results are a little bit more mixed. Looking at a story today, um, Wisconsin followed its lowest numbers of new COVID-19 cases in two months with a high of 981 new cases that would have been um, yesterday. Rate is at its highest point since May and continues to climb. So if if you look at, at Wisconsin, even though the deaths have stabilized, even though the hospitalizations have stabilized or decreased, what you're finding is you're still finding lots and lots of people are testing positive. Now, the good news in this, like I say, is that the hospitalizations aren't going up. So that tells me that the people who are getting it, by and large, are, are younger they're healthier, so you don't have the the fatalities. You don't have the people that have to be put in the hospital. But still, if you have 800, 900, 1,000 people a day getting COVID-19, it's, it's an issue, which raises the question about, gee, we, we've had this, these mask rules that have now been in place, and despite the fact that the mask rules have been in place, you still see the numbers that are, are going up, at, at least in Wisconsin. Now, does that mean that it would have been a lot worse if there weren't mask rules? Maybe. Does it mean that maybe the mask rules aren't being followed? Maybe. Does it mean that maybe the mask rules just don't work that well? Maybe that our, our reliance on masks is, is again, overrated. Don't, don't know. Don't, don't know any of that. It's, it's all those different things that are out there. But, but clearly, I mean, right now the rule is that you wear masks. Governor Evers' mask order expires September 28th. And I don't even think Tony Evers thinks that he has the authority to continue that mass, that statewide mask order beyond September 28th without an act of the legislature. I, I, he might try it, but I, I think, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that even if he had the authority to put it in in the first place, and there's lawsuits out there challenging that, I think it's pretty clear that, that September 28th, after that, that the statewide authority, absent, absent an act by the legislature, expires. But that doesn't change the fact that you have businesses, whether there's a statewide Tony Evers mask mandate order or not, businesses can require their own orders. You need to wear the mask, you know, in shopping. And I think lots of people make the decision anyhow that they're going to continue to wear masks. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How long, regardless of whether there's an order in place, 
regardless of whether or not the business says you have to wear the mask to come in. I want to talk to you about how you are approaching this. How long do you think that you are going to continue to wear masks? Once the stores say you don't have to wear them, are you going to stop wearing them? Once the order expires on September 28th, are you going to stop wearing them? Or are you going to say, I have a text here, first text I got on this says, I'm wearing them until at least the spring, maybe a lot longer. I'm going to be wearing it for the foreseeable future. That's an individual choice that you make. How much longer are you going to be wearing your mask? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. For me, I think indoors, think it's going to be at least for the foreseeable future. What do you think? We discuss. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, now, I I don't want this to turn into a, you know, do do masks work or not? I I don't think we know exactly. People said it was going to work, but, you know, we've had a mask mandate in Wisconsin for, for a month, and the numbers keep increasing. Now, thankfully, the number of hospitalizations and deaths is not increasing at any sort of huge numbers, but I don't know. Is it because people aren't wearing masks? Is it because... It would be worse if we didn't have the mask mandate. I, I don't know. But the, the mask mandate in Wisconsin is going to expire on September 28th. I, I doubt the legislature is going to continue that. But it, So it's going to be up to people to decide. And, of course, local businesses have the right. What, what will you be doing? Okay, a ton of text here. Jeff, I only wear a mask when I'm told I have to. As soon as it's not required, I'm not going to be wearing one. Jeff, I'll probably wear the mask indoors until there's a vaccine out of respect for others, but I don't believe they are effective and the numbers don't lie. Uh, Jeff, I think people will continue wearing masks. Yesterday I had 60 customers come in. I would say 45 were wearing masks. The ones that did not wear masks were advised by others to wear one. Um, let's see, Jeff, I seldom wear one now only when a store enforces it. Jeff, right now, I only wear wear one when requested. I'm still conscious of social distancing, but I won't wear one indoors or outdoors any more than I have to. Jeff, I'll wear my mask as long as it takes. My goal is that my son gets to play his senior year of high school sports, starting with football on September 18th. Um, Jeff, we do not wear them unless required. And then this is he's uh, he's from Dallas transplant here. We do not wear them unless required. And then it's uh, only to go in a grocery store and walking in and out of restaurants. Jeff, I already wear a mask as little as possible at our child's soccer game this weekend. Hundreds of people together. No masks at my gym. Rarely any masks are actually on. Covid will run its course with or without masks being worn. I just think they offer a false sense of security. Jeff, I plan to ditch the mask immediately. Again, 99% of us are not wearing the N95. Many of us wear a mask. Um, let's see. Jeff, uh, da, 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 never wore the mask to begin with. Uh, Jeff, until I get a vaccine, I am going to continue to wear the mask. Well, that means you could be wearing the mask for the foreseeable future. Jeff, I wore a mask before the order. I wear a mask now. I will wear a mask until the virus is gone. That's my choice. Now, I, you know, that's an interesting thing to me because I I don't think the virus is ever going to be gone. I I just, I, I don't. I mean, I think... I think we're going to be just like we live with the flu every year. And I know COVID's not the flu. I'm not suggesting it is. But, you know, we 
you know, we, we live with, I don't think coronavirus is ever going to be gone. Now, it might be significantly limited because you're going to have a vaccine, which is going to prevent pe- some people from, from getting it. And, you know, over time, you're going to develop some degree of herd immunity over time. But, but it's never going to be gone. So, I mean, I guess that's what I'm really getting at. For some people, is, is this, is this the future? Are we going to become like the some you know Asian countries where largely because of pollution you know they they now wear masks all the time? Jeff, I'm a 23 year old healthy individual. I will be wearing my mask indoors and when outdoors in close proximity until I can get to a Brewers game and drink beer with my friends. These are abnormal times and they require all of us to make small circumstances. Jeff, I haven't worn one yet. I won't ever wear one. Jeff, I don't wear it unless uh, unconstitutionally forced to going into a business, so I already don't wear it unless I'm forced or I'm told to do so. Jeff, I'll wear one as a common courtesy for the next couple months, but once it starts to get cold, I can't see myself wearing one in and out of a place. This is because once winter hits, my nose runs nonstop. I'm not going to deal with that underneath the mask. I, I See, I, I bring this up because I mean, I think th- this this is what we're going to be confronting moving forward. If the idea is we're going to continue to wear masks until there is a vaccine, well, okay, that, that that's fine. That that could be a few months, but it could be could be a year. If the idea is we're going to wear masks until the virus is gone, well, then we're, we're wearing masks full time. Here's what I think is going to happen. I think it, it's going to vary. I believe there will be people who make the decision that from now on, they are going to wear masks. They're going to wear masks inside. They're going to wear masks outside. That's just, they are going to do what people, like I say, in some Asian countries have been doing for the last several years. They're going to wear masks all the time. My guess is there's a lot of other people who aren't going to wear masks at all. And I think the majority are probably, at least for the foreseeable future, going to be in that in-between thing. Um, okay, if you go into a business and the business asks you to wear a mask, you'll comply. You, you'll, you'll do it because the business wants you to do it. And I think most of us are, are rule followers. Um, in personal interactions, I think the vast majority of people probably won't wear masks unless required to by the businesses. But some are going to be there. So, you know, th- these masks, I think they're going to be with us for the foreseeable future. But it's going to be a matter of people making the decision whether they're going to wear them or not. We'll see in a couple months, and we'll see at the end of the month. Because, like I say, I, after September twenty eighth, I don't think I don't think even the Evers administration suggests that they have the legal authority to continue the statewide mask order without approval by the legislature. So, I, I think come the end of September, we're going to be on an entirely different footing as far as the state goes. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. So, Melissa, do you know, we were talking about our, our Labor Day weekend plans. Yes. Do you know what what sport, you know what Saturday is? What sporting event Saturday is? Ooh, is it soccer? Well, there's always soccer. Well, no, yeah, no, okay. no, 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 no. That, that's not the one I was looking for. Is it football related? No, not football not related. football related? Because hmm, I know that's coming up. Hmm. All right. Sports related. Drew, do right. you want to weigh it in? What I'm thinking of? I think it's, is it the Kentucky Derby? It is the oh, Kentucky Derby. Sure. 
the most exciting two minutes in sports. But but, but don't <laughs> yeah. feel bad because you know, because normally it's it's early May. Normally it's like the first Saturday in sure. May, and because of COVID concerns, they they put they put it all off. And now it's again, it's going to be this weekend. It's being run at Churchill yeah. Downs in September and it, Saturday. It's you know. interesting. People love to gather for that, and I used to go. To, I mean, derby thinking, for sure. Derby day, derby derby parties. I used to wear big hats. You know, had well, the mint juleps. It's like the uh, yeah. See, to me, mint juleps are just a waste of good not bourbon. So good. Well, no, it's just. I mean, it's just. I mean, I get you put they the sugar in the it. mint and mm-hmm. right, no, right. You go with it. But yeah. I'm, I'm a bourbon drinker, so just just give me the bourbon. I don't need all the other <laughs> stuff. I don't need the julep stuff in there. But yeah, it's it's kind of like it's how odd the sports season is this year because like the Indy 500, which is normally Memorial Day weekend, that mm-hmm. was a couple weeks ago, and uh, the Kentucky Derby. Which, That's interesting. Yeah, which is it's there. There are a couple days people don't. In normal years, this is a different year. But in normal years, you know, people don't pay any attention to horse racing. Three hundred, you know, three hundred plus days out of the year. Mm-hmm. But then Kentucky Derby comes around, and everybody has those parties and does that stuff. And you know, not this year. I think it's different. Yeah, I don't. What would they do this year? Well, they're. I mean, they're they're running. I mean, the tracks have been running, but they've just been running. Just again, no people in the. They, stands. they don't allow people gotcha. in the stands, and the, but they've been running, so people can bet and. And an internet betting that that's that's the sure. big thing. People watch it on the computers. People watch it on the TV shows and stuff. But like around here, uh, you know, Potawatomi, which had a, a race book. Matter of fact, I I know lots of people that work there. That's been closed since March. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've laid off all these. So, yeah. you know, you and and technically in Wisconsin, you're not supposed to. It's illegal to bet on the internet on these wagering sites. And so, if you live in Wisconsin. Yeah, technically, and, and the casinos are closed, and the sport, the race books are closed. You're not, you're not legally allowed to bet on these. Have things. you ever, have you ever betted on a horse before? <laughs> I mean, I mean, like a Kentucky Kentucky Derby horse. Uh, well, okay, um, a few, a few times, a few times. I, I, oh. <laughs> I, 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 I see. I, I, um, I guess I don't know that part of your l- life. Let's, so. let's see. I have. Um, over the course of my lifetime, I have given up more bad habits than most people develop. But the one that I have have, have not until recently given up is is I, I would on a regular basis go and bet horses. Oh, that was, see, I, didn't I, know I grew that. up oh. I grew up betting horses and gotcha. and I, I I got that gene from my wife and so <laughs> no I mean I, I knew all the people down mm-hmm. at the at, at Potawatomi and the race book and stuff I, I missed them quite a bit but so but for, like I say for the last several months it, it's been closed mm-hmm. and. Because I, I, there, there are internet websites that you can go these horse, and you, so you can place bets. There's all sorts of ones, but again, it's illegal to do that in Wisconsin. So I would, I do not do that. Yeah, the betting world is something I really don't know. Besides, like a poker game or something, and you'd throw in a few bucks here and there. That's pretty much the limit, well, or what I would do. Well, the 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 uh, my w- wife would tell you that that one of the good side, that one of the very very few silver linings that have come out of COVID is because I, I don't bet on horse. I mean, I, I still keep track of them. Like I've got a hand. This is the Kentucky Derby. So like, you're saving lots of things money. there. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> now my position is I'm costing myself money, but she believes that we are saving all sorts of money to put into the savings account. So um, that that's it. But yeah, it's a Kentucky Derby this weekend. Who knows? It'll be so, fun. Have, have they had any of the uh, triple crown? Races? They had the Belmont. Normally, normally it's the Kentucky Derby, and then it's the Preakness, and then it's Belmont. The Belmont Stakes. That's last. They had the Belmont Stakes already, so they're doing it. It's Belmont, and then they're going to have uh, the Kentucky Derby this weekend, and then a couple weeks it's the Preakness in Baltimore. It's funny you always hear about like the return of whatever the sport may mm-hmm. be, but I don't hear anything about Belmont. Uh, when did, did that happen? Months ago? Like weeks? 
Yeah, I mean, it happened a, a month or so, maybe a month and a half ago. Somebody will correct me on that, I'm sure. But yeah, it, ha- it happened a while ago. And normally, that's the longest race. They, they ran it at a different, they, they didn't run, it wasn't as long this year either. So yeah, so this they're having the Triple Crown. It's just in a, a different sort of situation. So there you go. Have your Kentucky Derby party. Hey, um, one other quick mention. Uh, this is from the world of finance, and Melissa's News was talking about it. The Dow Jones Industrial Average. Right now, I'm, I'm looking at the current time thing. Today, it's up 383 points. It's it's over 29,000. Now, I, I bring this up because the Dow first hit 29,000 in January of this year. The Dow's all-time high finish was at 29,551, and that was on February 12th. So that was the all-time high. And then we all know what happened. The, the bottom just, just fell out. You know, so after, after you know, the, the COVID pandemic took over and all the closures and the concerns about the economy, the, the bottom just fell out. And the Dow, what, lost five plus? I don't even know how far down it, it went. Um, and, it, and it went in a hurry. The, I, I bring this up because it, it's the problem that you have with trying to what they call time the market. There there are people who think that they're really good at knowing when there's going to be a high and when there's going to be a low and knowing when you can get in and get out. I mean, here's the the deal. Um, Yeah, the the Dow Jones, if you you sold stuff over the course, let's say, you know, when when just the, the, the shutdowns kick in in early March, let's say you panic and you, and maybe it's not even panic. Let's say you think, oh my God, I'm, I just, I gotta get out of the stock market. I've gotta take my money and put it, you know, in gold bars or stick it under my bed or something like that. So you, you sell as the market's going down. Well, okay, that, that's fine. Except, you know, the people in, now, to the extent that, that people, you know, quote unquote, lost all that money on paper, the folks that held out, they're, they've, they've gotten almost all the money back. Right now, the Dow's up 29,050 points. So, I, I mean, Almost, almost all of the the gains, the the losses, you know, from the all time high, they they've almost been they've got they've gotten them back. So again, it's one of these things where if you try to do this at home, you're almost always destined to fail because you're never going to know when the market's hitting an all time high, and you're never going to know when it's hitting a low. You're not going to know when to sell, and typically what happens is people buy at the worst time, and they end up selling at the worst time, which is all the more reason why I'm just such a believer in in just finding people who really know what they're doing and trusting them and, and watching them to make sure that, you know, they're, they're following what your philosophies are and stuff like that. Not Dave Spano, and don't play him on the radio, but it is it is one of these interesting things that for all the panic that people had, oh, my God, the world is ending, et cetera, et cetera, the stock market down, uh, Dow Jones Industrial, 29000 43 right now. NASDAQ up um, about another percentage point. It's at 12,000. So the, the stock market has almost completely and totally rebounded from the, the losses that it had in the spring. And for people who have money in 401k plans, other types of retirement accounts, or just ordinary investments, that's a very good thing. All right, when we come back, I want to circle back to where we started, but approach it from a slightly different perspective. Stick around. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
Okay, so I, I, I was wondering, the this year, the Dow Jones Industrial, the, the high was in February uh, 29,551. That was the all-time high, and that was on February 12th. By the middle of the March, of March as a result of a number of different things, it had dropped below 20,000. So that was in, in the space of a month. Remember, and, and everybody was just... Yeah, you know, just in a complete and total panic and watching, you know, what and not understanding and not knowing what was going to be going on. So it dropped below 20,000 in by the middle of March. And I, again, I bring this up because here we are, you know, less than six months later. And now the Dow right now, 29,076. So pretty much, you know, all all the losses that you had since February have now been, you know, regained. And of course, um, so the Dow is is up for the year. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's up pretty significantly for the year. So it, it's just again, it's it's one of these illustrations of number one how resilient the U.S. economy is, and, and number two the fact that for people who who think they know what's going to happen, it, it's I mean it, it's really not for amateurs because there, there's all sorts of I'm I'm positive the Dow is going to go down to ten thousand or I'm positive it's going to go up it'll 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 take ten years to get back everything that people lost in that month you just never know for sure that that's the bottom line which is why like I say I think you trust the professionals all right earlier on today we were talking about whether or not you're going to have faith in the election results and if, if the election the presidential election is narrowing. There, there's the new USA Today poll out shows that, and again, I understand people don't believe polls, but let's let's put that aside for a minute. Shows that Biden, they had Biden ahead by 12 points in June. Now that lead is seven. And, and I think that to me that makes sense. I think there's going to be a narrowing. As I've said before, uh, if you look at support, Biden's had almost universal support among Democrats. Trump was polling about 85% among Republicans. My belief is a lot of those Republicans are going to come home at the end of the day. That's what happened in 2016. People who were a little bit unsure, at the end of the day, they switched over to Trump. I think that's going to happen as well. Not predicting how the election is going to turn out, but I am predicting that it's going to be narrowing. It's going to get closer as we we move on. And one of the things that makes this such a dynamic election year is the fact that, you know, pretty soon, end of this month, you know, people can start early voting, you know, through the absentee process in a number of different states. There's going to be a lot of votes that are cast before Election Day rolls around. There's going to be votes that are cast uh, pretty much contemporaneous with the first presidential debate and before the debates, if they happen, before they're all concluded. So people are going to be voting, and the estimates that I'm looking at say that between early in-person voting and by-mail voting, the estimates are that, uh, let's see, 33% and 19, 33 and 19 is 52%. The story I'm looking at today says that 52% of Americans anticipate that they will vote before Election Day either by mail or in person. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm still not sold on in, on mail voting. That's M-A-I-L voting. I, it's not, and look, this isn't a, I'm talking about a personal preference here. I'm not, I don't want to talk about election fraud or anything like that. For me, and I've tried to explain this before, I love going out 
I love voting at City Hall. I love the in-person aspect of it. And I love either putting that ballot in the machine and hearing that number you know, go through, or if I'm afraid the lines are too long, I'm not trusting my ballot to the mail. I, I'm going to go like the, the last... Uh, the last election that I voted in, you know, we, we went and we vote the Supreme Court elections in April. We, we voted early. You know, we went the week before, went down to City Hall, filled out the forms, put the uh, forms in an envelope and gave them to the clerk. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm still not ready, even though the law allows it. I'm and I'm not a critic of the Postal Service. Don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan of the Postal Service. I... I still am planning to vote in person. Now, it may or may not be Election Day. Got to look at what's going on. It might be, like I say, the week before when my wife and I go over to City Hall and and vote early in person absentee. But I I, want to go and vote in person. I just, and maybe this is just me, and I'm sure the mail system works and all that type of stuff, but you know what? I want to make sure my vote counts. And for me... That means doing it in person. All right, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How will you be voting this November? Will it be in person, either on Election Day or before, or are you going to use the mail? How do you intend to do it? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's talk to Holly in Kenosha. Hi, Holly. Jeff, thank you so much for taking my call in sure. this crazy time that we're living in here. It, it uh, is. I think. I think I, things. Wait, before you make your point, Holly, have things calmed down in Kenosha? Uh, if they have, I don't know it. But yesterday, I don't have my car anymore, so I can get to a bus on a you know for the grocery store on a bus. But heavy bundles, I call a taxi. I saw things that I, I don't even want to see it anymore. I just saw, I said to my cab driver, my friend who's driving, I said, what's that? That's the protesters. I don't, I don't want to see that. I'm, I'm a sheltered girl from the Chicago <laughs> suburbs. I, okay. I can't deal with, I can't, and it reminds me of, I want to say, it reminds me of the 1968 Democratic Convention. My late mother and I, we sat at home in a Chicago suburb. We watched it on television, but it was over there. Uh, You know, uh, this is a completely different scenario. All of us Kenosha people are affected. We are all in on this, Jeff, because... It doesn't make any difference where you live. It's a smaller area than Milwaukee or Chicago area. And we're all in on it. And uh, I actually had a tear in my eye riding a bus, uh, seeing all of these buildings uh, boarded up. And people have explained to me they're boarded up because the storekeepers, it's like a Florida Florida hurricane, you know. They board up in advance of the problem. And some of them are really really in bad shape. So I don't want to walk around downtown Kenosha. Uh, I'm afraid of what I'm going to see. I accidentally saw some stuff on the internet, but all right, I can erase it from my mind, you know, but it breaks my heart. And, uh, my late mother said in, since I was 14 years old in 1968, the Chicago looting, they, the troublemakers came from somewhere else to cause trouble to our city, meaning Chicago, even we're from the suburbs. But the same thing with Kenosha. They yep. came from somewhere else, Jeff. Yeah, they did. And said, oh, no, there are no winners. There are no winners here. 
in this Kenosha thing. There's no winners, absolutely. We've got two towns that have unwanted publicity, Antioch, Illinois, which is a very nice little town, uh, you know, across the border, and Kenosha. This is, there's no winners here. Um, okay, well, Holly, you know, I'm sorry. I, 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 I sidetracked you because I was kind of curious since you were calling from Kenosha. No, no, we're, it's we're, all right. I sidetracked you. That's okay. We're, okay, so <laughs> t- t- let's talk about in-person voting. How, how are you going to be voting this fall? I'm going to be voting uh, uh, early voting. Uh, in the primary, I was going to vote uh, in person, but I changed my mind because of COVID. So I did an absentee ballot. Uh, over at uh, uh, Carthage College, I call it the voting place of my dreams. I didn't know if I should vote for Biden or Lake Michigan, <laughs> but I had a good time. And then um, I wanted to, I realized that a- 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 absentee balloting for me is the way to go because you don't know uh, what November 3rd the weather's going to be like, as you mm-hmm. well remember. We've had plenty of blizzards and rainstorms and all that. And, you know, we're getting a little older. We're standing up, and, and we know what we're doing. But then they hit you with that $64,000 question. Do you want your left hand connected to your right elbow? Um, no further south than Kenosha County. No further north than uh, Milwaukee County. But no further. I don't know what they're talking about. Okay. You know? so, Good enough. Uh, okay, Holly. Well, then I appreciate I that. Thank, th- I, I will, thanks for the call. I get it. I'm sorry. i got to let you go because I'm kind of a little bit late for the news. But Holly was excited. There she was. Good. I liked Holly. I liked Holly, too. She's exactly. very cute. Well, I was curious because, I mean, she was just calling from Kenosha. So I, I wanted yeah, to no, that's we a great question for right, her. We weren't talking about that. It no, was, we, I you know, we were, but I just so I sidetracked myself. Occasionally, that's okay. I, occasionally, I hijack my own radio program, I'll but allow that's that, okay. Jeff. She she was sweet. And <laughs> all right, um, <laughs> okay. We're I, I want to share. I have a whole bunch of text on this issue, and we're going to share that. And then I want to talk about before the program ends, right after Melissa's news. It's 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 one of the things that I lump into the category of are we all third graders? I will explain. But first, 232, let's go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Here's Melissa Barkley. Thank you, Jeff. Waukesha.